and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Wow, How- you did that so much better the second time. <laughs> I actually was able to say my bees. <laughs> All of your bees. All of them. So, we're coming to you a little late this week because, well, you know, when you have... All right, that was the dog's toy. <laughs> <laughs> she brought you her toy? She did, and she, she brought her new one. Oh, good. Yes. Anyway, so when you have a race in the same time zone that we're in, which is like an awful... Well, no, we had it with Montreal before. Well, yeah, something in North America. But it throws off our weekends. It does throw off our weekends because we really like to watch the race at about 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I know, and and this just throws it all out the window. And we've got to wait until 3. But even then, we have other stuff going on, which means we're probably not going to start it until 7. And <laughs> exactly. Um, so I know, and this will shock everyone who's listening, we live in the central time zone now. No way. I know. <laughs> but we lived in the eastern time zone when they set the times of the races to be 3.10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern. And we did a whole story on the whole thing about how they were going to do it at 310 and yada, yada, woof, woof. Yeah. It took me until this weekend to realize that they had not time shifted the race to 2 p.m. That we shifted time zones. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had it in my head that with the tsunami that hit Japan, Mm -hmm. oh, well, that must explain why they had the race at 210 in the afternoon, our time. Uh, and or it was like in the calendars 210 and i was like huh that's kind of odd and then this race was 210 in the afternoon and i was like huh i thought they were 310 wait a minute oh wait we're in the central time zone so yeah i had a moment okay i'm telling the story (laughs) on myself you're looking at me like okay that's the most dull thing you've ever shared no it was more i was trying to figure out where Okay, the race is in the central time zone this week. We were in the central time zone this week, which means it should have been at 310 our time. No, but it was at 210 our time. According to the calendar that you set up, it was 210 on our on the calendar. Oh, was it? Because I set those in the local time for the races. Unless Mexico... No, Mexico City is... I thought it was central time. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what time zone I mean, it is in. But. This Austin should be three ten our time because Austin is definitely in Central Time. Well, I bet I can check. No, no apparently, you have it set up at one ten Central Time. Hmm. In the calendar, going from one ten to three ten. That's weird. I wonder what happened there. Um, I, I blame you. Sure. Okay. Whatever. You are the calendar creator. <clears throat> so while we're on this subject of races in North America, this is a very important thing because <clears throat> what commentator did not get that Mexico was in North America? It was Jensen, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Jensen. It was Martin Brundle. Okay. That Mexico was in North America, that Montreal was in North America. <laughs> well, it, it was that realization that Mexico, wait a minute. Mexico's in North America, but it really feels like you're in South America, which I, I could see that point. It, it, it does have a very South American feel, but no, that's North America. Well, you know, considering that the other two countries that are in North America share a common language, well, except for Quebec, um, <laughs> of English being primarily spoken, except, you know, Miami-Dade, Florida. Um, but remember, you have in North America, you have Mexico, you have America, and you have America light. <laughs> Half the laws and twice the freedom? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and if I had the clip handy, it would be uh, tool time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what it is. It's half the laws and twice the health care. There you go. That's Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time, P.O. Box 3273. I'll get there. I'll get there. (laughs) Anyway, um, so while we're on this topic of races in North America, even though this is a race that I still say the smart money is on it not happening, 
it was announced that Formula One has reached an agreement in principle with the local promoter for the Miami Grand Prix with plans to run it around the Hard Rock Stadium, quote-unquote, confirmed. In a parking lot. In a parking lot. And the pictures I have seen of the proposed layout, it's just about as boring as the downtown race. But even this is not a done deal. Well, that's good to hear. So the thought was that they had all this resistance about having the race in downtown Miami because all the construction, disruption, and all of that other stuff that was going to happen. The amount of time it was going to take to build out the track and all this stuff just wasn't going to work. So the thought was, okay, let's put it over at the stadium. Because in a parking lot sounds like a great idea. Well, no, it was to get around the construction. those other issues. The problem is the Hard Rock Stadium, or for those of us who know the reality down here, Joe Robbie Stadium. Pro Robbie. Pro Robbie. If, if, it, it depends on which generation <laughs> of the name you're going with. Um, I'm of the Pro Robbie generation. I know you're of the Joe Robbie. The Joe Robbie. Yeah, I'm the Joe generation. Robbie station generation so the problem is though is that this stadium while yes it is very far removed from downtown miami um it thankfully so it also sit well before you say that it sits right smack dab in the middle of miami gardens florida oh which by the way there was a comment over on jalopnik that said that nobody willingly nobody lives in miami gardens because they want to live in miami but it has one of those nice names. It does. It sounds like it should be such a nice place. Well, 40, 50 years ago, it was a really nice place. But the money moved somewhere else and it declined. But it's still surrounded by residential areas. And the residents have all decided that they don't want to race there. I can't imagine. Surprise. Why. I know. I can't imagine. So... Yeah, we'll see what happens. If you really want to support the race and you think that this should happen and you happen to live in Florida, if you go to the webpage for the Hard Rock Stadium, they have set up pre-made templates for you to use to send to your local representatives. Whether you are just a resident of the state of Florida or a resident of Miami-Dade County, or just a resident of Miami Gardens to send to the appropriate representatives expressing your support for the race and your disbelief that Miami and, and Miami-Dade County would even consider letting something as amazing as Formula One race in their neighborhoods. Alrighty. I'm going with their words. I... I think this is a stupid idea for a whole lot of reasons. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think this will really make the quality of life in, in Miami Gardens that much worse. I've been to Miami Gardens. Sorry for the folks who live in Miami Gardens. It's just not a nice area. Okay. Do you remember the old <clears throat> Miami Arena? Because uh, it got leveled. That was that, that was the one in downtown on the edge of... Well, I'm thinking of Douglas Road. That was the one that, that um, it, right on the edge of the neighbor. So if you remember back when the Super, there was a year that the Super Bowl was over at Pro Robbie Stadium. And Dave Barry wrote the article about, about downtown Miami and how the Metro Mover um, would take you places that you wouldn't want to get off with uniformed Secret Service agents protecting you. Exactly. That was that was the Miami <laughs> that Arena. That was where you were headed. That was the Miami <laughs> Arena. So the Miami <clears throat> Arena regularly had shootings out, just outside the doors. Mm -hmm. It was an area where I'm not exactly sure the local constabulary came by to enforce laws. Now, to be clear, this is not that area. This, this is, is not, not that close, area. This is not even close to that area. They tore that building down. They, they did, but they've also been working on trying to... Built because the problem with where that stadium was again, putting on our old cruise miners hat, <laughs> um, that stadium and that craptastic neighborhood was you had to drive through it to get to the cruise port. To my, it was not a great gateway into Miami or out of Miami. So my point but was, this is this different. is at least stepping up 
the surrounding neighborhood is not what surrounded Miami Arena. It, it, it is not at all. It, it is a much better neighborhood than the area right around downtown Miami. I mean, if Formula One cars had hubcaps, <laughs> they ought to be able to hold on to their hubcaps. At Pro Robbie, they would not have hubcaps if they raced in that area of Miami. Yeah. So we've taken a step up. Yeah. Um, it, it would be a combination of in the stadium, and they would be going down Northwest 199th Street to the south of the stadium. Oh, okay. Just put that out there. All right. But, yeah, I, I am so not expecting. I'm very that. confused. Okay. I'm conflicted. I, I'm not sure I understand your position on this. Are you for the, are you pro, pro Robbie? Or are you negative pro Robbie? My problem is <laughs> I would love another race in the U.S. And I don't necessarily think that a race in South Florida is a bad idea. But this location is even worse than the last location. Track, I don't think that this is a location that's going to promote good racing. Okay, so this location or the roads around Soldier Field in Chicago? I, I don't think that that would be much better. <laughs> so we're basically opposed to a round of football stadium. Yeah, well, that too. Okay. I mean, when you look at Miami, there is Homestead Miami Speedway. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, that's an oval. But if they worked out something with Homestead to build out a road course there, I suspect that they could probably do it. That would make sense to me. If they looked at going to Road America or one of these, any of these other tracks that are close to a metropolitan area and got them built up to a grade one status, or even better, if they really, really wanted to do a street race, look at um, Long Beach. Go back to Long Beach. Go to St. Petersburg. Although St. Petersburg, I think, would have an issue with the width of the streets. I think you got a problem there. I think that would be the biggest challenge there. But St. Petersburg tends to be a pretty good race. By the way, mm -hmm. we do have to say, we appreciate Phil reaching back out and telling this that he will not be going to Letting the, us down. the Hollywood Fan Fest. Jeez. But apparently, if they would move it to Long Beach, he'd go. Letting us down. All right, so other news. Yes. Um, so we, I think it was like two weeks ago, we had mentioned, we were trying to figure out who McLaren had for an oil sponsor. <laughs> right. I was wondering that. It, it was, was a Petro, high question. It was Petrobras, we, okay. we, which is what we narrowed down. Well, and I say it was Petrobras because <laughs> it turns out that President Bolsonaro of Brazil doesn't like this deal. Now, I don't, completely understand why he doesn't like this because he's already turned around and said that that he wants to move the formula one race to i think i think it was rio we mm -hmm. talked about this a couple of weeks ago too that he he wants formula one he wants to do this new deal but he wants it to be somewhere other than interlagos because wow that's a bad location Okay, speaking of bad neighborhoods. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> There's Interlagos. <laughs> Not every race can be in Monaco. Let's and just go back. Here, here's the, the, the other thing. Okay, let, let's really put this in perspective. Okay, <laughs> so you have Interlagos and the favelas around there. You have Mexico City, which even that race is in some pretty depressed neighborhoods. And then you want to go and put a race in Miami. Now, the plus side about Mexico City and Miami is that you typically don't need to have armed escorts to make sure that you don't get carjacked on the way to the track like you do in Brazil. We are not 100% sure about that. <laughs> I am 99% sure. When was the last time you were in Miami Gardens? Are you sure? <laughs> I am 99% sure that you can make it from the Miami airport or even downtown Miami because remember, you for especially if you're coming from downtown Miami, you take 95 onto the turnpike and you get off, boom, right there in the stadium. You don't have to drive through Miami Gardens unless you really want to. And nobody does. <laughs> See, also keep the hubcaps. But, you know, if you're going to the stadium, you can always park on one of the front lawns of any of the houses on Northwest 199th Street. 
and it's cheaper than parking at the stadium. Obviously. Wonder if they'll let you do that for a Formula One race. Yeah, they will. Absolutely, because <laughs> they make they make bank off of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Guy who goes but, and parks sixteen cars in his front lawn at sixteen bucks a shot when you can go go to the stadium and pay forty. He's making bank. <laughs> yeah, but if they're going to use 199th <coughs> Street for part of the race, only right in front of the stadium. Oh, okay. So. You go down a little bit, you'll... you'll yeah, you, the other side of the turnpike, and it's open. I've seen this. I've been there. I bet you they're going to charge 20 bucks a spot in the front lawn of the people's houses. Anyway, back to Petrobras. Okay, Petrobras. President Bolsonaro is ordering that the... Um, and I don't know what the currency is down in Brazil. So it says R seven hundred eighty two million. I don't think they're pesos. No, they're not pesos. Though. They're certain, real, I think. Yeah, probably real. So seven hundred eighty two million real. Um, twenty eighteen. We'll Petrobras, fact our check ourselves later. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Petrobras signed an advertising contract of seven hundred eighty two million real with McLaren valid for five years. At the moment, the company, by decision of my government, seeks a way to terminate the contract. We don't know why. Maybe it's because McLaren's not doing so right. They're doing better. Maybe. I, I I don't know. Maybe if Lando could, like, finish a race. <laughs> ouch. That's what I'm here Ooh. for tonight is the ouch comments. So far, I've hit Canada and now Lando. So, Zach Brown admits that um, discussions have been ongoing about this deal since about the Russian Grand Prix. We don't know what's going to happen. We really don't know the full reason as to why. Um. Yeah, that's all we've got. Apparently, there was papers that were published by the Brazilian Ministry of Economy this or last week that claimed that the deal was ended, um, and all it said in there was quote an unjustifiable Petrobras sponsorship agreement for the McLaren Formula One team worth one hundred sixty three million pounds has been terminated. So okay. yeah, we don't we don't know what the deal is. I didn't see whether or not their logos are still on the car, but apparently President Bolsonaro is not a McLaren fan. I wonder what oil they're using if they're not using Petrobras. I don't know what they're going to do. We'll, we'll find that out. Um, McLaren has also, and they haven't told us exactly what they're doing, but they have said that they're going to make concept changes to their 2020 Formula One car. And that this change is not risky because they also want you to forget 2013. <laughs> like the whole year. The whole year. Okay. Because as you'll recall, okay, so where we are right now, just to, to put everything in perspective. So here we are. We're going into 2020, the last season of the current rules package before we have an anticipated major change in how these cars work and the aerodynamics and all around it. Yes. So next year should be fairly stable, fairly simple. Flashback to 2012. Coming out of the end of 2012 into 2013, 2013, the last year for the V8 engines, where the, the big difference is that in 2012, McLaren had one of, if not the fastest cars on the grid. And one of the worst trackside performances. Yes. I mean, they they threw a world championships championship away because of how poor their trackside operation was. And they made the decision to make a change in the concept of the car. And it's been downhill ever since. Yes. <clears throat> but it was not a not risky. Not risky at all. <laughs> not risky at all. <laughs> was it that said if you don't learn from the past you're doomed to repeat it now what we don't know if this is exactly what the concept change was you know i know i know i know we don't know if it's push rod or pull rod <laughs> suspension no i know i know i know <laughs> they're conceptualizing winning a race that would be the hope <laughs> <laughs> they're conceptualizing <laughs> it's a visualization exercise that's why it's not risky so the insistence that andrea seidel who is now the team principal over at mclaren he says this is definitely the right decision he said 
Where we are right now, it's not a risk, it's an opportunity. He says, our target is clear. We want to make the next step. We need to be able to jump from where they are right now into the middle of those top three teams. And staying where they are is not going to make the jump. So that's the feeling is they have got to make a significant change in order to be competitive at the level they want to be at. Now, And that makes some sense. It does. And if they are making some conceptual changes that could apply to the new rules package, Mm -hmm. because some people are thinking about how can we kind of soft test some things, that could be a good thing. Yeah, Yeah, I I think, I don't know. I mean, mind you, the whole push rod, pull rod thing, had they pulled it off. Had they pulled it off, it would have been brilliant. And and we wouldn't be having this conversation. We would have all said how great they were. But the, uh, I mean, the other piece of that though is that arguably, that was the start of McLaren's downfall for the last six years. Yeah, I mean, that had repercussions for a very long time. Mm, still, still having repercussions. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right. So, somebody wrote a letter. Ooh, Ferrari wrote a letter about who? Actually, Ferrari did not write a letter. What we know is that a, quote, number of Ferrari's rivals wrote a letter to the FIA, specifically seeking clarity over the legality of design aspects they believe are the team's engine advantage. Uh Uh-oh. So we don't have the full... We don't have confirmation is exactly what the issue is Mm -hmm. but the thought is ferrari has had up to a point eight point eight tenths of a second advantage on some tracks which is pretty significant oh yeah and teams have been trying to figure out what is this secret sauce that they have come up with so what folks think may be going on we don't know is that there's a theory that says that around Ferrari's intercooler and how a controlled leak may amount may allow a small amount of oil to enter the combustion process and produce a power boost for a short period of time. Wouldn't that be oil as fuel? There you go. And that's not permissible under the Technically, rules. Technically, it's not. However, mm-hmm. using oil... In the intercooler, which Ferrari is thought to be alone in utilizing, is permitted by the regulations, although rules demand that such systems must not intentionally make use of the latent heat of vaporization of any fluid with the exception of fuel for the normal purpose of combustion in the engine. So you can have oil in there, but you can't deliberately have the oil ignite you can't deliberately burn oil in there so is do you so think how do you prove deliberate right that this is and that's why a controlled leak how do you prove that mm. yeah interesting <clears throat> the plot thickens so we don't have a ruling on this yet but teams are are asking a clarification over whether such a practice would be allowed Interesting. Yeah. And if it's not allowed, could you go look at the Ferrari engine and see if they have a leak? Yeah, something like that. Or make sure that the oil is where what we expect to be in there start to finish. Mm-hmm. So other protests that we had. We'll follow up now. So as you recall, coming out of Japan, we, we had this vague protest about Renault. Yes. Something to do with braking and that kind of stuff, and it was coming from Racing Point. Well, it turns out that follow-up invest, and it happened a lot faster. I figured we'd be at least another month before we had some idea of what was going on. But actually, FIA stewards had a teleconference hearing to evaluate whether the brake bias adjustment system used by the Renaults in Suzuka was legal. What they came back with was that the system was not in violation of the technical rules. However, it was a driver's aid. 
which is a violation of, of the, the sporting, sporting regulations. regulations. Right. Yeah. So as a result, both cars were disqualified from Japan. But wait, there's more. So just to, to better explain what happened here, what was spotted. So the protest was based on claims that Racing Point believed a preset lap distance dependent brake bias adjustment system in the cars was in breach of the regulations. So what it basically was, according to this whole thing, was that the driver, the, the brake bias of the car adjusted itself without input from the driver, mm. which meant that the driver was no longer driving the car unaided. Correct. Um, so. Which that part is confirmed and not in dispute. Right. But the reason why the protest was made by Racing Point, because Racing Point looked at this around the time of Silverstone and said, you know, this could probably help us. They knew that Renault was doing it. So they submitted a letter to, to the FIA saying, hey, we, and they didn't even turn around and go, Renault's doing this. Can you let us know if we're allowed to do it? They just sent a letter that basically said, hey, we're looking at doing this. Is this legal? At which point the FIA said no. Mm. And then they submitted the protest. I see. Right. So it's a bit different than what's going on with the Ferraris. So after this went down, and Renault had the ability to appeal this decision, not only did they not appeal the decision, but they also came forward and acknowledged that the system is a driver's aid. Correct. But they went on to say that they were convinced that the system was legitimate because it was introduced long before the season. Mm-hmm. Like years and years and years before the season to the point that Roman Grosjean has come out and said, yeah, I was using that in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> on the Lotus an Endstone classic. The Endstone special. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't now there's no word as to whether or not the FIA is going to look at other results and possibly go even further back. Um what is not clear from what I have seen is whether or not Renault has used this on a regular basis mm. or if they you know, only put it in in some races and not others. The evidence that Racing Point submitted that this was going on was actually in-car video from a filming day preseason that showed it was Daniel Ricardo who was driving the car and it was over his shoulder. And you apparently you could see on the display the brake bias changing even though Daniel wasn't making any changes to the settings of the car. Ooh. Now, the only concern I have with that is that wasn't in a race condition. Correct. That wasn't in season. It was pre-season, and they admit it. It was pre-season video, uh, video racing, uh, not video racing, but it, it was specifically filming. for filming that they were doing this, fo- that this footage was even captured in the first place. So there was nothing official about the running, and especially pre-season, and especially in those kind of sessions, they run stuff on these cars that typically is not legal. Correct. But they turned around and said, "Yeah, we did it. We did it. It's <laughs> yeah, it, we, it, it. we had it on car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah mm-hmm. you, you got us. Yeah. So, um, now this has also led to Cyril a bit bull, uh, saying that the increasing collect the, the increasingly complex regulations that were going to every year especially with the new ones coming out in 2021 plus the talk about um the the cost caps and and that now level of scrutiny that comes into play is that unless f1 puts in place some sort of code of conduct around what the teams can do what they can request investigations for and things of that nature he's afraid that there could be a bit of a wild wild west and at any time that somebody wants to screw with another team, they just throw out these random allegations in this letter and, you know, away we go. 
That's been Ferrari's modus operandi for years. Yeah, I know. I know. There's nothing Everybody's new, accepted that that's the way Ferrari operates. He, he says we need a code of conduct to maybe crack down on that stuff because <laughs> you just got me disqualified from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, more news from Renault. This is, obviously, this has not been a good year. And if you're Daniel Ricardo, you're looking around going, well, okay. On one hand, I'm not dealing with Max. On the other, I'm packing this damn Renault. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but word has come out that um, development progress on the Renault car has been significantly hampered since the summer break because they had to shut down their wind tunnel. They had to shut down their wind tunnel. Had to shut down the wind tunnel. So they've had problems getting on top of the aero characteristics of the car. Um, they didn't get the step forward that they expected. What they had discovered was um, the front wings on the car are super sensitive. The way that they're hitting the bodywork, hitting the floor, leading edge, and so on, they are super sensitive. And they understood a lot of that was because of what they were getting for readings out of the wind tunnel. So basically, the wind tunnel was not properly calibrated for the car. And their aerodynamic tests were not relevant to the real world stuff. So they were not seeing gains in their aerodynamics. Uh-oh. So they've identified the problem. But in order to resolve the issue, they had to shut down the wind tunnel for more than just the summer break. Um, this actually went on for weeks before the summer break and after the summer break and anything that required aero testing had to get put on hold until they sorted out the problems at the wind tunnel now Cyril Abitbull blames this on the lack of investment that the Enstone team had put into the wind tunnel prior to the Renault takeover now by the way Cyril this is probably the last time you can blame Lotus I know it's been a couple of years. You guys have thrown truckloads of money at the plant. You've done a lot of work. You can't blame Lotus anymore. You say that, but they could get creative. Yeah, they'll find a way. Um, but the problem was that multi-week and, and probably in excess of a month shutdown of the wind tunnel has set back all of their development. Ouch. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But even more bad news for Renault. This was just My not... word. Did you just like pull up the depressing Renault file? Th this has not been a good two weeks for Renault. So um, the, new, the interim CEO of Renault during a conference call with investors this past Friday, uh, interim CEO Clotilde Debose. Debois? No, B-O-S. Yeah. Yeah, I would have thought Debois, but, but there's no I. Okay. Um, but Clotilde's a woman. Case but, you, yeah, yeah. I do know that Clotilde oh, is okay. a uh, female name, yes. Um, she announced in a conference call with investors on Friday um, that they are going to examine all aspects of their business in light of a significant fall in revenue and move on from the dis disruption caused by the arrest of Carlos Gosen last year. Okay. Um key to their ambitions is that they want to take a look at um, Carlos Gosen's drive the future strategy um, and look at all aspects of the business. So they're going to look at the Alpine performance brand. They're going to look at, uh, I'm assuming, uh, several other pieces of the alliance, but Formula One is also part of it to take a look at whether or not it makes sense for Renault to stay in Formula One. Oh my word, they just got back. Well, and, and that's the next question of, well, okay, you just came back. You just threw all of this money into the facility in Endstone. But on the other hand, you now have no customers. Correct. And Carlos goes, and he's also, he's been trying to spin that too of, well, you know, we have McLaren going away. We can just focus on us now. <laughs> we have no other distractions. We don't have to worry about customers. It's just on us. We've seen how well that process works, Honda. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I I think it's not looking 
great if you look at that bigger picture. But think, if Reno <laughs> leaves, that opens up a slot for one of these uh, teams that says that they're putting in a bid that Charles, uh, Jean Todd is saying doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Yeah, the, yeah. I don't know. Mythical new teams. We'll see what happens there. But Cyril Abitpool says he is optimistic that Renault will keep them in the sport and that Renault will sign the Concord Agreement and commit to the championship beyond 2020. He's optimistic, but I heard that he's polishing his CV. Yeah, possibly. (laughs) Now, over at Williams, Robert Kubica denies that there is any tension between him and the team. There's none. He, it's just his people and the team. He, he he says that, you know, after everything that happened in Japan and his comments about he's everything is good. I think there is no tension. The situation is not easy, but I have a good relationship with the team. And for sure, one episode is not affecting my relationship with the people who I'm working with. We are on the same boat, and I think we all better understand our situation, although we probably sometimes have a different point of view. I think I have been long enough in this sport and different situation that I also understand a team point of view. That's why probably sometimes it would be easier just to talk instead of doing things differently. Yeah. So maybe he doesn't it, feel like there's tension in the team because nobody's talking to him. Well, well, I, I, I you know, we're hearing word. They have not released an official statement. But I hear that Williams's press office has drafted up a statement that says, Robert is a really great guy, and we wish him all the best in his future motorsports endeavors. I thought that that was something <laughs> they've already released. They may be re-releasing. <laughs> He's a very He's good. A very great guy. We wish him the best of luck. Kiss of death. <laughs> all righty. Um, so there was talk about it this past weekend, but just to, to clarify and, and fully put it out there, Lewis Hamilton is racing without Peter Bonington for Mexico City. Well, he did that already. And for Austin. Where is Peter Bonington? He is back in the UK. Um, all we know is that he stayed home to undergo a personal medical procedure. Oh, he's getting a vasectomy. Wow. I'm going to say no only because I'm 99% sure that that's three days, not two weeks. I don't know. I've never had one. I, I, I think the time frame's a little bit longer there than you might think. but Okay, but international travel, you know. Where, so where I initially went with on this, <laughs> truly was, you know, all this talk about the longer seasons and the fact that they're going to have to rotate personnel out to keep them fresh and to keep the families together and all of that. And this is just an experiment. And Lewis, since you're about to win the title, we might as well, although I would have expected that they would would have wanted Bono around for the title win. And then after the title win, you schedule whatever. (laughs) The mole removal. The mole removal. <laughs> I am assured that a mole removal, which I actually have had, is not two weeks of recovery either. <clears throat> but so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe our audience can tell us what what procedure do you think? What personal medical procedure do we think that Peter Bonington has had that he had to be out of commission for two weeks? I think we could get some great answers. We probably could, but be ni- see. Remember, we like Bono. We do. He was a really nice guy when he came to visit us. He, I mean, he. This is not Pastor Maldonado. So no, no, be no, no. nice. No, no, no. But he's. I mean, he's personable and nice, and he keeps Lewis in line. It's awesome. So, even though Bono has not been trackside with Lewis and is not race engineering for Lewis. We got word that um, Lewis did in fact message him pre-race or before qualifying asking for advice on setting up the car. I think that's kind of awesome. So when Lewis was asked about this and pointed out 
Um, Lewis initially said that, well, Bono was in touch because he was just a bit bored on his couch. <laughs> With his bag of peas. Yeah. No, the reality, however. <laughs> I'm not letting it go. No. The, the, he then actually explained it. Well, actually, he's not at home. He's at the factory. He, 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 he is still involved in what's going on, even though he didn't fly all the way out to the UK. But he's going to the factory and he's working with the race support team at the factory. See? But the idea of the, 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 the iMessage going back and forth. No, what I want to hear is that he was like, because he was questioning the call in Mexico about like the tires and all the he calls. He was that... not sending him messages <laughs> from the car. All I want to know is that did we not get a radio call that says, patch me to Bonington. I need to talk to Bono. <laughs> That's the reason that Allison had to get on the, Lewis, this no, is James. Not, no, uh, that, not James Allison. That's James Vows. James Vows. Sorry. He. James Vows is the strategist. James Allison is one of the technical directors. Okay. <clears throat> They're James. A James. One of the Jameses. Different James. <laughs> Lewis, this is James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't identify which James he was. <laughs> Everyone knows the difference. You you know very well the difference between James Vows and James Allison. Okay. They sound very different. Well, Trust me. One of the Jameses. Um, you know, when Lewis said, I want to talk to Bono, <laughs> that's when James got on the radio and said, we got this. You'll get there. Trust us. <laughs> I mean, that would have been one hell of a feat, though, if they had turned around and had Bono race engineer from the factory. Oh, that would have been a that game could, changer. That could have been revolutionary. I was going to say, that could be a game changer. Because talk about the ability to rotate people in and out. Then again, what happens if that data link fails? Well, you'd have to have a backup track set. Yeah. You'd have to. Yeah. I mean, you go to <clears throat> Interlagos and somebody snipped the... <laughs> Okay. Lowe's extension cord. No, it wouldn't be a matter of somebody snipping the Lowe's extension cord. It would be a matter of somebody going, wow, look at all the copper in this giant bundle of cable. Yoink. <laughs> That's what would happen. Yes. All the copper in all of Interlagos <laughs> would be disappeared. Yes. So the team has met to discuss rules for 2020. Because yes. they've got to hammer it out. Um, they they need to present this package. They have by like what, three races left to figure this thing out. Um, they're supposed to present the package by like the end of this week. Uh huh. Um, and already several of the leading teams. We don't know which are which leading teams. I'm guessing Ferrari. Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. But several of the leading teams are now pushing to delay the rules overhaul till 2022 because they're not done. Because we can't make an agreement. Now, what apparently has been... So, so the proposal that put forward would be to table the technical and sporting rules until 2022. However, still bring in the $175 million budget cap for 2021 as planned. Well, that makes sense. It, it would <clears throat> extend another year on these engines, and you should be at the end of the development cycle. Yeah. So capping the budget's not that big of a deal now it does not sound like at this point there is any agreement to this hmm. i don't know what's going to happen um but apparently that has now put forward to potentially delay the rule see the problem i mean i i get it the, the window is rapidly closing that they've got to get this out and do the development the problem is i think if they go and kick this can down the road it's not going to resolve the problems that they have that they can't agree with in the first place well, I think that you're right there. But the other problem is, is somebody trying to be wise enough to say, kicking the can is a better solution than us coming up with half-baked rules. Like, that's how we get that weird qualifying yeah. that we never talk about, that we talk about all the time. Um, I mean, I would rather them kick the can if they'll cut, kick the can and commit to... We're kicking it. This is the schedule for the meetings. We will walk out of this with these agendas. And somebody step up and go, we're only doing this so we don't get half-baked rules. 
I don't know. I kind of think I would rather have half-assed rules. Let the teams go hunting loopholes again. Okay. Six-wheel Terrell. Here we go. See? Which we all know. Very in support of the six-wheel Terrell. <laughs> so, word has come out that there will not be reverse grid races that in 2020. That is 100% because <clears throat> of the bloke and the birds condemnation of reverse grids. Heard by two teams. Because remember, it had to be uh, unanimous. Correct. And two teams stood up and said no. And what was one of those teams? Mercedes. Toto Wolf, who came out and said that he stood up and did it to protect Formula One. I'm telling you, our connection with Mercedes has been very strong. But I had a realization today as to how truly, if Formula One is committed to this idea, how they do it, how they prove to us that it's the right answer. And I think you're going to like it too. Oh, do tell me. So first off, you can't do this in 2021 at all. Not at all. Okay. Because you'll screw promoters. Mm-hmm. For 2021, you have the same number of races that we have in 2020. You pick two weekends. Potentially even you look at France, which you know is going to be crap to begin with. Mm -hmm. And you look at one other race. Maybe Abu Dhabi is the other one. Okay. And you turn around and you start off with one in terms of the standings, in terms of the points, in terms of all the other stuff. These two weekends have zero bearing on it whatsoever. And instead of having your normal race weekend, you have Saturday and Sunday both, just so you have a full test. You do these reverse grid sprint races. And you turn around and you tell the teams, if F1 is truly committed to this, that... F1 will cover the cost of the tires for the weekend. That the teams have free choice if they need to change out gearboxes, if they need to change out engines, if they need to change out chassis, whatever. Those rules do not apply to these weekends. This is strictly from the perspective of these are not Grand Prix race weekends. These are reverse grid demonstration weekends. Those are the races you have at those tracks. Because honestly, if you do a regular Grand Prix, they're going to suck anyway. <laughs> but make it so that for the teams, this is as minimal risk as possible. And mix it up. And to, to do one other thing, maybe that is a, instead of a Grand Prix weekend, this is a festival weekend. And the drivers get paid promotional fees so that their time is compensated as well. The teams are, are paid something. The, the tickets for the weekend are less than a normal Formula One weekend because you're only doing two sprint races for Formula One. And you could still do the practices and whatever. And more of the activities that happen are more fan fest celebrations of Formula One. You could still have the feeder races and some of the other stuff going on as well. But for Formula One, these are celebration weekends. These are demonstration weekends these are not race weekends so you turn practices into testing you could do that too sure your practice sessions it's three days of testing at the track and then reverse grid races as features whatever you want to call them on saturday and sunday still do sprint races but the event organizers know going into the year going into the season that that's what the weekend is that they're offered for those races only two races tops two weekend tops i should say you're right i don't have necessarily a problem with it except mm -hmm. because it's not affecting the championship i fear that the team's won't quote try to pick it apart as well one of the things that killed the idea of the the bad idea of qualifying mm -hmm. was the teams took a look at it and figured out the trick pretty quickly and then just kept everybody off the track so we but, but we if, waited till the last but like, if the teams get a prize i mean still have a still do a prize or something like that just but in terms of championship standings 
for driver or constructors. This has no bearing. Maybe it's one of those things of winning team for the weekend gets a $10 million prize purse. That kind of a thing. Okay. To in, incentivize the teams that you still want them to race. You still want, because the reality is the purpose of those races is to convince both the teams, the well, not both, but to convince the teams, the drivers, and the fans that this is or is not a good idea. One way or the other. And the only, really, the only way you're truly going to convince anybody involved in that decision-making process is to actually hold the events. So have you called Ross yet? Not yet, because honestly, I dreamed of this as we were driving home. Wait a minute. Wait one minute. There was a brief gap while we were sitting in a traffic light that it, it popped in my head. I've had a bad day. <laughs> and the entire drive home, I was sharing. No, not the whole way. And you were thinking about Formula One? I think that is not good. <laughs> All right. Do you have another story? I do. I have more stories. More stories? Lot, oh, there's a lot more going on. Um, so... 2021 it is looking like the f1 strategy group and the f1 commission as well as the need for unanimity for some rules calls will be abolished awesome with a new process coming we don't know fully what that process is don't worry they can't agree on it anyway oh, there's <laughs> that too. <laughs> but so. awesome no actually i think that's a good thing i don't yeah. think that the strategy group brought a, a lot actually even though the, the plan that they've put out which has not been ratified yet 30 member group responsible for making the rules in f1 to simplify the process membership will comprise of 10 representatives each from the fia and f1 plus the 10 teams unlike the present structure unanimity will not be required to vote though last minute to vote through last minute rule changes for the current season after may 1st Instead, a large majority of 28 of the 30 votes would need to be in favor of the proposal. So that would get around the whole, we want to do reverse grids because two teams stood up. Mm -hmm. um, a smaller majority of 25 will exist for decisions about the following season or the current campaign if the vote takes place before May 1st. Okay. So we'll see if that gets ratified. That could be fairly huge. Um, the next thing that we're hearing rumblings about is that the FI, if the teams agree, and we don't know what the thought is yet, if the teams agree for 2020, the uh, Q2 starting tire rule may get dropped. That's interesting. So what that rule is and what's been driving everyone crazy is the rule that says that if you make it into the top 10 shootout, the tire you set your fastest time on in Q2 is the tire you start the race with. The intention was to try and mix up some of the strategies. Um, hasn't necessarily worked out that way. Well, yeah, and it's got some issues because now you've got people sitting at the front of the grid that aren't st sitting on brand spanking new tires. Mm -hmm. So if they took a lot out of their tires to get into the top 10, Right. They could have a serious problem. And we get that that's part of the strategy and that's part of the balance act. But at the end of the day, you really want your racers to race. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they're talking about that has not been approved is to restrict practice starts over the race weekends. So drivers will pull off. And, and you see it on, on a Sunday. They'll pull off to the side of the pit exit and do a practice start and they'll come back around for their from their siding lap and do another one um the thought is that this would um add some some additional unpredictability to the race starts now you know they said the same thing about not letting the the team's radio instructions to the drivers about settings and that didn't do crap either so i yeah. i don't know we'll see what happens um Speaking of tires, and we're not going down the direction you were afraid we're going to go to. So you remember that really cool graphic that we saw in Japan that showed the what appeared to be the tire life of several of the drivers. I think Lewis was one of them. We were trying to figure out whether or not he was going to make a pass. 
Um, and you mean the same graphic that we saw in Mexico where it showed us that the rear tires were at 30%? Well, they revised how they talked about that graphic okay. in Mexico. I don't know if you noticed that. So when it was initially presented in Japan, it was expected percentage remaining of life of the tire where the way they talked about it in Mexico City was the performance of the tire. Oh, okay. So what happened was apparently F1 rolled out that graphic and that stats package without talking to Pirelli. Uh-oh. And Pirelli went, what the hell is this? <laughs> because the reality is F1 doesn't have the data to predict anticipated tire life of any car. For that matter, as we also saw in Mexico, the teams really don't have the data to to, uh, predict estimated tire life for a tire. Correct. It's based on so many different factors that nobody really has all of the factors that it's really difficult to predict that. And oh, by the way, for each car and each driver and how the drivers drive, all of that adds into what the tire life looks like as looks like as well. The graphic is nowhere near accurate. And Pirelli said, "Hey, you guys can't do that." <laughs> and next time, talk to us. <laughs> so that's why, as as a result of Pirelli going, "What the hell are you doing?" That Mexico City, they changed how they talked about that graphic because the graphic itself is pretty cool. Yeah, it gives us some great idea. Um, but what they try to instead do in Mexico City is instead of talking about the anticipated life of the tire was the expected level of performance rating remaining in the tire based on the data that they were getting on the wear level of that tire. Got it. Still probably not that accurate, but it's probably a bit better because it's looking more at the wear of the tire. Which is pretty much what they wanted was to give us an idea of how much wear is in that tire, period. I mean, that's that's the goal. But it's a cool graphic. It's really cool to, especially when you can see like they're using their rights more than their lefts or their backs more than their fronts. And that's kind of cool stuff. So we're not going to talk much about because we tend to not talk about the races. Talk Mm -hmm. about all the other stuff going on. I think I described it today, today as... It's the soap opera that gets us. Yeah. What did you think of the podium ceremony? I actually, well, honestly, I thought it was kind of cool. It was neat to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's the one of the things about Mexico City and their podium, cer- podium ceremony in general is it is very different and very unique. Um, so I liked that. I mean, I loved mm-hmm. the rise of the car and Lewis standing on the car as it came up. I, you know, to be quite honest with you, I really think that what they were banking on was that that would be Lewis, the world champion, being lifted up. And even if he hadn't won that race, if he had ended up in 04th and won the championship like he had in previous years at Mexico City, they were going to do the same thing with him. I, I, I don't doubt it. I mean... I think they had visions that that's what all of the pieces I, I, were going to I come think together. that was less of a race-winning lift as a Lewis Hamilton-winning lift. Also possible. However, the best part of the entire <laughs> podium ceremony was having the Day of the Dead. What do we call it? Mexican Stig? Well, we called him Mexican. He has a name. He has a name. We called him Mexican Stig. Okay. Um, but actually, he is... Uh, essentially the race's mascot. So he's popped up in a bunch of promotional pictures that the organizers have had for this. His name is Mario Achi. Oh, okay. So the Mariachi guy. Um, <laughs> but guy in black racing suit with gold decorations and white stick helmet. Exactly. Mario Achi. Um, so the Mariachi boy is, um, he didn't was get creepy. I until I pronounced it. Yeah, I, I see. saw it because because it, it's it's listed in the article as Mario is one word and Achi is the other, so I didn't link it together until I said it out loud right there. That's mm. weird. <laughs> he's very creepy. He, he's kind of weird. He's kind of creepy, but watching Seb push him away was <laughs> awesome. Well, you know the thing is, and and I wouldn't have thought because we don't necessarily think the Stig is creepy. 
but it's the fact that it's the Stig helmet, and the dude looks kind of overweight. He looks a lot over. He has had a lot of burritos. Also possible. That that's what I think was really what put it over there. But yeah, it too was too many churros. Seb did not like him at all. No. So he was asked about it later. So Seb, he was asked about the ceremony and what happened, and he said, "You know, I think it was cool." He said, "I didn't like the selfie guy when he tried to push into the picture, so I pushed him away. I'm not big into selfies anyway." It was nice to elevate the car as well as really cool. It's a very nice way to do it to involve the whole stadium and the crowd. I liked most of it, except the selfie guy and the trophies. Oh, the trophies weren't up to his standards? He says, it's a shame. You have such a great race, and they put so much effort into the race, and then you get this, starts with S, and just Y. <laughs> Fill in the middle. Hit. I'm keeping my clean rating. So start with S, end with Y. And he hits says, in the middle of it. He, 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 you, you get those trophies that look boring. So if you did not see it, and, and we've seen these trophies before at other races, and they are basically Heineken-sponsored trophies, so they're uh, the star, mm-hmm. basically elongated. Um, and I, I kind of agree with that. So what he had to say, his recommendation, was... We could have, for the future, maybe something nice. Traditionally Mexican, because it's a bit of a shame. There's Heineken written everywhere. You don't need to have the freaking star on a trophy as well. <laughs> Get something nice like they had when F1 used to race here before we came back. Which which race was it that Lewis said? Silverstone. Was it Silverstone? Yep. About not having the nice trophy, and sure enough, the next time he won it, they brought out the good one? Yep. And, and well... Of of course, what they ended up doing was they presented him with the Silverstone trophy, but the team didn't get that nice trophy. They went got the sponsorship trophy. Yeah. Um, he he was asked also about you know using the car, and I I liked how the article said on the use of the winning car as part of the podium furniture. <laughs> Vettel said it doesn't fit everywhere. Here it makes sense. Okay, so one of the questions I had mm-hmm. was when they do the champagne. Yep. Did they get that all over the car? You know, I think, I think that you know we we should have we didn't watch it that close. I was I just more, dawned on me. I was more entertained by watching Seb push <laughs> mariachi. <laughs> I was you're, more. You're not I, ever gonna let go of mariachi. Well, was, you you were only half paying attention, and I <laughs> and I look up and I see him push the guy away, and I'm like, no way. Yeah, we had to rewind it and watch that part again because look, some shoving him off. <laughs> Not now, mariachi. Yeah, There's no away, need for dude. the mariachi game. You are not a driver. This is not your picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I agree with Seb, and I actually I had the opportunity last year. I think we've mentioned this before to go to the Ferrari Museum in Maranello. Really? Did you? One of the one of the neat features of the, the Ferrari Museum in Maranello is they've got a room with all of Ferrari's trophies over the years that for Formula One. Mm-hmm. So you can see, especially that mix of the traditional trophies and the sponsored trophies, and there are ones because the the races have been sponsored by brands for years. And they've got ones that are still very traditional and nice looking. And they've got the logo for the sponsor on there. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, there, there's quite a few that have like Marlboro's logo on there because they sponsored so many races. But it looks like a cool trophy. Right. And honestly, I think nothing beats, and, and they better not ever change it, the the trophy from the Australian Grand Prix. It's, that... That's the one that's the steering wheel with the plate, the silver plate. Oh yeah, that backs it up. That looks fantastic. And and there were a couple of other races that have trophies that are the more modern looking Formula One wheels. Mm. Those look really cool too. That's cool. And then there's the more uh, typical cup type bowl trophies. Those are you know, as opposed to the star or the the gorilla. Yeah, that that's in not France. A- that's not cool either. Um, now, I'm also partial to the ones I also like that are a little bit more modern are the track layout put, put trophies. Some of those are pretty good too. I, I like those. Um, 
the revision that Canada did was it last year or the year before with the maple leaf? Mm. That was a neat one too. I mean, you can do some cool modern stuff if you want to refresh your trophies. That's not a shooting star like the more you know logo from NBC. A shooting star or a blue gorilla. The blue gorilla, not cool. Those are terrible trophies. Not Those have got to go away. So our last story. Um, We've got the U.S. Grand Prix coming up. Everybody's headed either right now as we speak to either L.A. or to Texas for either FanFest or promotional stuff to prep for the, the U.S. Grand Prix. Um, the Haas Boys. The Haas Boys. K-Mag. Not, not Gene and Tony. No, K-Mag and Roma. Yep. Um, they will actually be uh, hopping in uh, the number 14 NASCAR Ford Mustang used by the Stuart Haas Racing NASCAR team. So um, Tony Stewart co-owns the team with Gene. Uh, they will get the opportunity to drive that car around Coda. Now, because they've neither one of them have ever driven NASCARs, mm-hmm. um, a passenger seat will be fitted where Tony Stewart will be riding in the car coaching them. Excellent. I mean, it should be an interesting experience for the car to go left and right. I think it will be. I mean, um, Kevin Magnuson, his, his experience has been like a test in 2015 driving a Mercedes DTM car at Haref. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman Groshan really about all he's done is um, the year that he was not in Formula One in twenty twenty in twenty ten um, he ran Le Mans. So they have raced inside a car. They they have raced closed car closed cockpit cars before, but not NASCARs. True, and certainly not NASCARs on a road track. True. Alrighty, because well, there is no oval. Best of luck to you, boys. <laughs> we want to see that video. Yeah. It should be fun. I hope they all have fun. And I wish them the best of luck at Coda this weekend. Is it this weekend? Or... Yeah, we're back-to-back this weekend. We're back-to-back. Yay. Actually, you know, we're looking at four straight races in the same general time zone as us. Because after Coda... They go out to Brazil, right? Which also same general time zone. That would make three. Um. Oh yeah, three. Yeah, that's it. Three. <laughs> You're I, editing that, aren't you? No, I'm not going to edit that. I'm going to leave it in there. <laughs> you. It's can't... not news to the people who listen that we screw this stuff up sometimes. You speak for yourself. Yeah, whatever. I anyway, can, I can count to three. On that note, <laughs> we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.